Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we are broadcasting live at Function Coworking Community Workspace. Do your best work here. Function is located at 4709 Harford Road, Baltimore, Maryland, 21214. Give them a call at 443-885-0020. Free trial. Today, we have a very, very special guest. A very special guest. Slay's a rock star, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm honored to have her here today. And it's just one of those things where it's, she lives in my neighborhood and it didn't even realize that. So it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Also, I have a special co-host today. Miss Karen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Aaron. That's what's up. So our guest, Miss Libby, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm great. How are you? Great, great, great. So happy to have you here. Um, I want to give Heather from Baltimore Browse a quick shout out because she's the one that connected us. Heather's the best. That's all. Yeah, she is. She really Shout out Heather, Baltimore uh, Brow Bar. <laughs> and she really, really was like the one who said, hey, let's make this happen. Yeah. She's a, she's a rock She star. was. She's awesome. So thank you so much, Heather. So we're here today because Libby, I mean, she's a rock star. I mean, Heather was telling me all about her and I'm like, who is this Libby? Who is this person? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I do her brows and she's done all these awesome songs and she had one of the hit songs in the world and she was rocking with Paul Oakenfall. I'm like, Paul Oakenfall. So for all you young millennials, Paul Oakenfall was <laughs> the, the Calvin Harris of the late 1990s into early 2000s, that's correct? That's a great analogy. That, that's that's a, a, actually a very good analogy. That's that, perfect, pa- yes. Paul Oakenfall was the man, okay? he Anywhere you heard trance, techno, dance, that was Paul Oakenfall. Um, if you, it, even for the people throwback, you know, when they had MTV Spring Break, he used to rock on that on MTV all the time. That's right. He so did. just give everybody a little history and the context of everything. So without me, uh, why am I talking? You with the guest here. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's let's get the background of you. Are you from Baltimore? Where are you from? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I grew up in a suburban town called Crofton, Maryland. So Crofton is located directly between Baltimore and D.C. So when I um, decided that I was going to be a party animal, I think that was kind of always what I was meant to be. I would go to both cities. So I'd party in Baltimore until everything closed, and then I'd drive to D.C. and continue my night. <laughs> so, so you were a suburb girl, huh? I was. I was. And then I got my first apartment in Baltimore in 2004. Wow. Okay, so you're from Crofton. Again, everybody that's a little outside of Baltimore, yep. about, about 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah, from here, it's like 35. Okay. It used to be a little better, but traffic is pretty bad now. So you came to the big scary city of Baltimore to hang out. It, Baltimore was never scary. <laughs> well, you know that, that's a perception. It feels like right? my comfort zone. I just feel like if you grow up in a suburb outside of Baltimore or DC, it's going to be one or the other. And Baltimore usually just always happens to be the more affordable one. Yeah, but you did the you got the best of both worlds. You went to both. So absolutely. When I was growing up, yeah. So, but I I I really just liked Baltimore. Like all my friends were here and. Everything I wanted to do was here, and I found a really cool apartment in Mount Vernon. Oh my God, when I got that place, my apartment in Mount Vernon was like four sixty-five a month for a studio. Right, I know. And so a couple of years ago, one of my friends who lived in that building was like, "Look, they turned them into condos, and they were like three hundred thousand dollar condos." I was like, "I paid four hundred and sixty-five dollars a month to live there in two thousand four, and my place was great. Wow. It was full of cockroaches." <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it was great. Nice, nice. So 
you know, you grew up, did you like music growing up? Yeah. Oh my God. So, um, I pretty much always told my parents I was going to be a pop star and they would roll their eyes at me and say, no, you're going to be a lawyer or a vet. And, um, I made a tape for star search. I don't know if anyone, any of wow. your listeners remember star search. <laughs> Is that the one with the four stars that came across the screen? And when the judges were like, star, it was, star. I don't even remember the guy that did it. Is Ed, Ed, Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon. Oh my God. Karen, get, ding, ding, Karen got it. Karen, so yeah, Karen McMahon Karen did it before he did a publisher's clearinghouse. <laughs> Or wait, what but was the... He was on The Tonight Show, too, with Johnny Carson. So he was Johnny Carson's sidekick. Oh, wow. I'm I'm old, so I know this. No, no, oh you're throwing your throwback. This, I know. This is we're taking us back. So um, Ed McMahon was doing Star Search, and I made a tape when I was 10. So it was 1990. Yeah, I know. And my mom never mailed the tape off. Oh, I know. No. Do, do you still have the tape? No. No, okay. I found, I found it in her glove box, and I was like, oh, my God, you never mailed it. So they they just didn't want me to to be a pop star. So back then they didn't want that for me. How did you record it? Just because the kids the kids so, down there want to the struggle. It's a yeah, struggle. as a kid, I didn't really. So I um I made my first record when I was 19 years old. Okay. So I started clubbing when I was 14. So where were you clubbing at? Uh, Paradox. Okay, <laughs> Paradox. Uh, that's one of the biggest clubs that back in the day in Baltimore. Yeah. It was under the bridge, right? Yeah. Was that a paradox? Yeah. With, with uh, Hammerjacks, right? Um, Hammerjacks, they moved it over there. Or yeah. It was over there. I never went to Hammerjacks. I okay. only went to Paradox. Okay. Yeah. That was under uh, I-95, I-195 right now? Yeah. Where, where, where uh, Camden Yards is, right? Yes. Okay. So that gives people a reference of where Paradox was um, located by Camden Yards and Raven Stadium. So go ahead. Yeah. So I started going to, um, I was, I was a raver. So it's so strange to say that because you think of the way people think of raves now and it's very, very different. It's not the same. So, um, I was a raver. I started going to raves when I was 14. I went to there, they used to host this party called Sunday mass, which was a day party. So I used to go to that with my friends cause it was all ages so I could get in. And then, yeah, I would borrow IDs so I could go to the other parties, but that was few and far between because, you know, I was still a minor, so it was really hard for me to get out or tell my mom I was staying at someone's house or... So for the star search, did you do a song or did you dance? Because <laughs> it was always like a talent I, show. I, I think I, I mean, well, the first time, even when I was 10 and I made the video, I think my, I had my mom or dad just to set up the old camcorder and make a video of me singing. I think I sang the Little Mermaid song. Wow. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, but funny enough, that came full circle because when I was 24, um, my friend Charles Feelgood, who was a pretty pretty big DJ, he was like, hey, I know some of the producers that are rebooting Star Search and they need people to audition. Do you, why don't you go audition? And I was like, sure, I'll go audition. So I went to DC for the day and just and I auditioned and I sang the Little Mermaid song. Nice. Yeah, I clearly did not make it, but <laughs> it was just so awkward because I had never sung in front of people before. So I had done recordings for other people, but I'd never performed live. So I didn't perform live until I joined. I, I don't know. Is this all? Is this an all ages podcast? Yeah, uh, okay. No, 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 so are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about the, the band that I was in? Okay. Yeah, it's a doll. It's, <laughs> okay, a, it's yeah. a doll show. Yeah. So until I was in Laser Bitch. So yeah, like I didn't perform live, and that I was. 27. That was the very first time I ever did a live performance. I was 27. 
Yes, I put out my first record in 19, 19, when I was 19, 1999, and I had not performed live ever. So when you started out at 19, you put out this album, like what sort of music were you doing yeah, then? And, so and how did your music from that point evolve to when you, you yeah. um, became this Libby Laser and the Laser Bitches? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, okay. So I was singing ever since I was a kid. It was one of those things I always kind of knew I was going to do. And I would go to raves and I... I didn't really know how to work with people. And I was introduced to, is actually, his name is Chip Watkins and he still lives in Baltimore and he used to go by DJ who, and Chip doesn't, Chip does still DJ sometimes. He does a lot of stuff, um, at Port Covington. Um, I think he does stuff at, it's like the garage, I think that's yeah, what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Chip, Chip is, he's like a tastemaker. So he just, he's been around forever though. And so I met Chip when I was 15 at one of those Sunday mass things. And my friends were like, oh, you got to work with Chip because Chip was an up and coming DJ and he had some records out that were like international sensations. So Chip was doing his thing. Chip's a couple years older than me. So I was like, well, maybe I'll work with Chip. And Chip was so cool. So we talked a couple times and we could just never get it together. But Chip always kept me in mind. So he would introduce me to different people and he introduced me to this guy named Holmes Ives. God, I haven't talked to Holmes in forever. Um, and Holmes was doing things with... Um, he was working with Oakenfold and he was working with people of that caliber. So Holmes was kind of international and Holmes put me on, um, there was a guy named BT. I don't know if you remember BT. Um, yeah, BT was huge. Okay. So he was on the same level as Oakenfold. Oakenfold. He's American though. Okay. And he's from this area. Really? Yep. And so he was working with BT on his album. So he put me on a couple of remixes that he did for BT. And then it was just like, I would do kind of like vocal sample packs for my friends. And so they would just use those like samples. They would just kind of pick and choose from the little vocal parts and interject them because it's dance music. So it's like, you don't have to write like a full song. You know, you can take a couple words and chop it up or whatever. So those are my first, first record records. And then the more involved I got in the rave scene, I started doing driving for a company called Buzz. So Buzz did a Friday night party at the Capitol Ballroom and it was the greatest ever. And I was lucky enough to become friends with the people who ran it. And I would say, hey, there's this DJ or producer that's coming into town that's playing for you. Can I pick him up from the airport and get FaceTime with him? Because I figured that if I got FaceTime with that person, it would be the best way for me to be like, hey, this is who I am and this is what I do. And it, it was a good idea to do it, but it never, it only panned out once. So with John B. <laughs> yes. Not, 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 not the not the white cronies. No, 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 no. Not the R and B John B. No. So which was very funny because people often got them confused. So <laughs> um, John B was a really big drum and bass producer from the UK. So he was on a label called Metalheads, which if you listen to drum and bass, I mean that was kind of the standard for drum and bass was Metalheads. And John was a little older than me, but not by much. So he was still very, very young, but really successful in traveling the world doing his thing. So, um, I had made a CD and I gave it to John and was like, Hey, can, I want to work with you. Let's make a record. And he got back to me and this was like, I didn't even have a computer at my parents' house. I would go to the library in Crofton and check my Hotmail account. I mean, that's just so crazy. To, you know, you can access your everything on your phone now. That's just so crazy. And I remember getting an email from Johnny. He's like, I love your voice. Let's do a song. And I was like, wow. Okay. What are the parameters? And he's like, okay, just you know, write me a song to, you know, 175 BPM. And I was like, wow. So before I used to write songs a cappella. So I just come up with something and I would have my metronome and just 
come up with something like sketchy. I had no formal training. I just knew that I liked music and I knew that I could sing. So I had a really, really good friend named James Brennan who I met through mutual raver friends. <laughs> and James's dad is a children's performer, Billy B. So they're from Silver Spring. Billy B is still like rocking it out. He's still doing really well with his kids thing. Wow. Yeah. So um, James and I recorded some songs together and then James was great because he'd always let me come over and record in his studio too. So I recorded Electro Freak at James's studio and I just came up with a song and I sang it a cappella and I sent it off to John B. And then a couple months later, he's like, here's your song. I love it. And it did really well on the rave circuit. And then Paul Oakenfold heard it and was like, oh my God, I love this song. So we had John do, they called it a trance and bass remix. So it was a mashup of trance music and drum and bass. And that was released on Warner Brothers UK. And that was the biggest record I've ever done to date because that was with Madonna and Bjorn and Justin Timberlake and Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. So... Yeah, that was really cool. So I was, oh my God, 22. I had this big record out. And I moved to Miami just because I was like, what am I doing in Baltimore? I'm 24. I need to go somewhere else. So I moved to Miami just to go. And I was a waitress. <laughs> so what, 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 how does it feel when you hear your voice? Um, your voice, one record. I think it depends on the song because I don't like everything I've done. I like most of the things I've done. But, and it also depends on who wrote it, because now I have not written all the songs that I've recorded. But, like, you know, when you heard Paul Oakenfold was dropping your song on his CD. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was really cool. And I got paid. I mean, I was paid, paid, really? paid. Oh, yeah. I was really, really paid for so that. So I always wonder about yeah, that. Yeah, I was that paid. Work? How does that work in the industry as far as you getting paid yeah. for this thing? Well, you have to sign contracts. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. You, so you had an agent already? No. No. I so, did everything myself. Wow. Yeah. So you're reading all these. Yeah. Like I didn't have my first contract lawyer until I was, oh my God, when did I get Frank? I was 32, I think when I met Frank, maybe I was 30. I think I got Frank when I was 30, but yeah, I didn't get Frank until like 2010. So looking back at it, do you wish you had a lawyer before in the beginning? <laughs> really need one you know because I wasn't I wasn't doing a lot of like things that needed contracts I wish that I had been more maybe litigious with all of some of my works because my but the vocal packs I would do for people I definitely had someone steal some of my music and put it out and I wasn't I didn't really care they didn't pay me because I didn't think you didn't have a lot of money but I just wanted the credit like that was what really bothered me was that I didn't get credit for it so that was the most important part to you. Absolutely. Like, I just wanted to see my name. You know, I wanted to be like, I did this. In this day and age now, though, I, you know, is, is that something that they have to do now? I, because I feel like the industry's become even more litigious since I, you started. It's really, it's really per person. I mean, it's really whatever, however you want to do it. You know, I mean, like there's, I mean, yes, I recommend everybody do some kind of a formal contract, but... You know, if you're a struggling artist, I mean, lawyers are really expensive. So that's why I was talking about Frank. So Frank, Charles Frank Morgan. So he works at Astrich and Thomas Gunst on Redwood Street in downtown Baltimore. And they represent all kinds of people. But Frank um, does the arts. He specializes in the arts. And one of my friends had recommended him to me because he started, he was a founding member of Maryland Lawyers for the Arts. And they would basically take your cases pro bono. So, because when I was doing music full time, I was poor, 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 poor. As I feel most people starting out doing that would be, did you get, feel like you got a, a fair deal though in the, the Oakenfold 
Um, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. When I was, I mean, you know, and it's funny though, because I feel like maybe if I'd done it a little differently, I think what I wish I would have done differently with that record is that I wish that I had had more focus and I wish I had had just more vision. And I didn't have either one of those things because I was all over the place. Like, yeah, I could sing and I knew I was good and I knew I was hot and I was this commodity and it was super fun. But like, what was my plan? And nobody ever asked me what was my plan, but I didn't even know myself well enough to be like, what's your plan, Libby? What's your next step? What's your goal? Like, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's, I'm just doing whatever. But I wish that I had done like a follow-up record or, you know what I mean? Something to just keep the momentum going because that's how you stay in like what you've started. It was like, I did this thing and I had nothing yeah, to gonna, follow it up. I'm going to rewind it back a little bit for us. So here's another question for you. Uh, how did you sing your demos out back in the day? Oh, CD. Okay. Yeah, so it's in CDs. Was it pretty hard just sending CDs out? Because now it's digital. It was really expensive. I mean, because a lot of people I work with were overseas. So it was super expensive because you get like the pad. I would buy like padded envelopes in bulk and blank CDs in bulk. So, and I would make CDs and send them out to people. So, and postage was expensive. See, people don't understand that struggle. No, that, it's crazy. It's a real struggle. It's really crazy because you don't have to do any of that now. You just have a Dropbox and it's, yeah. you know what I mean? And Dropbox is free until you reach your limit. And, and it's, it's there in like seconds. So you don't have to sit there and wait. You know. Seconds. Yeah. That's what my husband uses. Dropbox for his clients all over the world. That's awesome. Yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, so for those people who are listening who never heard your music before, how would you describe it? Um, I mean, it's it's definitely electronic dance music. It's it's pop. It's for sure pop. And it's really cool that that has gone mainstream because that's something that I always, I, I just kind of knew it would be a thing. And now, like, the first person that I heard that I think was the closest to what I was doing was Lady Gaga. And that was really neat to kind of hear her and hear her come up. And I was like, oh, I'll check her out. Like, she's... She's really doing very something very similar to what like I had already already been doing. So nice, nice, nice. Yeah. And so you had Lizzie Laserbit. So okay, so, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you the Laserbit story. So okay. Okay. I had I did all kinds of stuff in the music industry and I had a DJ booking agency. So it was called Real Time Management, cute right. And so I would basically handle all of my DJ friends' bookings and I would do their contracts for them and I would handle their airfare and it was pretty short lived. And I met this guy, Max, through Real Time Management. And um, Max and I did some records together and then we dated and then I did his bookings and then we just stopped talking for a long time. Didn't see Max for a couple years. And then I ran into him at some park party in DC and he's like, oh, I got married and I'm back. And I was like, oh, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. And he told me about this band that he had called Laser Bitch. And he sent me stuff on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was in 2000. Wow. This was like 2006. So he sent me like some, what Laser Bitch had been doing on MySpace and they had a female vocalist. And I was like, damn, this is like everything I wanted to do or I've been looking to do but couldn't find the right group of people to work with and do this really cool thing they were doing. And I was like, Hey Max, if you ever want to work on any side stuff, just here's my number, call me. And I mean, it was like, it was a couple months later. He was like, Hey, things didn't really work out with our vocalist and I need somebody reliable that can sing and you know, like, let's get this money. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So we just started writing really silly songs because Laser Bitch, what they were known for, they had a song called Pussy Lips. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, it was a Baltimore club song called Pussy Lips. I'm sure really? it's still on the internet somewhere. If you just Google Laser Bitch Pussy Lips, it'll come right up. Okay. So the I funny thing is, is that girl, she does sound somewhat like me. And so people think that it's me on Pussy Lips and it is not. I've performed Pussy Lips before, but okay. that's not me on Pussy Lips. Okay. Yeah. There's no recorded version unless it's video of me performing Pussy Lips. Wow. Yeah. So you get into that, <laughs> you, you jump in this group. Yeah. And what's your thoughts on this group? Yes. Oh, I was so, I was so happy. I loved Laser Bitch. Like Laser Bitch, I was like, this is what we're doing. This is it. We're taking over. So we started writing songs and um, my friend Evan at the time, he was doing shows at Sonar when Sonar was um, on Saratoga Street. And it's, I don't think it's anything right now. I think the last iteration of that building was something called Paparazzi. And I, I, exactly I, I don't know. I don't so know. anyway, so there was small sonar in Canton Square, which was the best ever. It was just super boutique and cool. And then they sold it. And then it became like JR's barbecue or something. Ugh. And then they moved sonar to this massive building where it was a like concert venue with two smaller lounges. And it was just such a phenomenon. And so. Was that on Guilford Street? Um, I think Gil it was at Guilford and Saratoga. Yeah, it was yeah, a very yeah, large yeah. building. That, that, that's a big spot. Yes. Yeah. And so. Um, I, um, had a friend named Evan who was just kind of dabbling in like artist management and, you know, whatever. And he started doing shows. Evan is now the person who does Moonrise Festival. Oh, okay. Yes. That is Evan's party. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, like Evan was just kind of, you know, like on the up and up and it was so funny because like we were good friends, but I was just kind of like, oh, it's Evan. And like now it's like, oh, that's Evan. But anyway, so I would always just been like, Evan, why don't you book us? And he just would roll his eyes at me like he wouldn't take me seriously. And then one day he listened to some of our music and was like, oh God, Lazy Bridge is actually really good. He's like, you guys want to play the show? And I was like, oh, it's our first show. And that was our first show. So it was at Sonar in 2007. And that was where I met my husband. Isn't wow. that crazy? I know wow. I got so excited. I hate your microphone. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. Um, yeah, that was the first time I ever met my husband. And I didn't even know that it was going to be like, I just like Matt was the sound guy at Sonar. Wow. Yeah, so crazy, right? Yeah, I will tell you. I um, first listened to your song. Which it, which one did you listen to? Well, I'm not gonna say yet. Okay, not gonna tell right, you yet. So right. I listened to it, and I had my because I told my coworkers, I'm like, hey, I got Lizzie Laser bit to on here. She's gonna be on um, <laughs> on my show. And so we all listened to him, and I was like, this 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 is a jam. Like like right now, if you came out with that song right now, okay, it would be fire. Huh. I'm, I'm not going to tell you which one. See, now I need to know I'm which one this was. I'm not going to tell you which one, but right. you got a couple. You're walking down the street. Oh, a coquette. Yes. Yeah. That's and, lots of, yeah. I mean, that was like the most popular one. You don't like that one? No, no. I love coquette. It's, it's a bop. It's a bop. <laughs> it's but, a bop. But I'm not saying, well, I'm, I'm going to say this. People are basic with music now. A lot of basic stuff out there right now. Yeah, I and mean. And I think yours is way better than what's out right now. Thanks, Aaron. It's That's really nice. Because there's no talent right now. Thank you. I, I mean, mean, we have definitely some timeless songs. I still have friends that are like, you know, I wish you would get back to making music. I still listen to your stuff. It's in my regular wow. rotation. And that's such a huge compliment to me because I'm like, you don't have to listen to my music because you're my friend, but you're making the choice to listen to my music. That's such a huge compliment where someone's like, I actually choose to listen to your music. I totally saved it to my getting ready playlist <laughs> after I listened to it. So that is, wait, so... Where did you download Coquette from? Where was it? SoundCloud. It was I on SoundCloud. It. Yeah, and it was SoundCloud. All, it was available. Okay, that's awesome. Because we started to put some things on Apple Music. So like right now, you can only get Veneer on Apple Music. Um, that's the only Laser Bitch song you can get on Apple Music. And I don't think anything's on Spotify. I don't know, but I don't know. I haven't looked. Um, 
but all my stuff's on SoundCloud. I think I have a couple Laser Bitch songs on SoundCloud, but I'm not sure. Um, but there's a Laser Bitch SoundCloud and there's a Laser Libby SoundCloud. I'm looking up right now. The, the Laser Libby one, yeah. So the Laser Libby one is, you know, that's that's just me. So, but Laser Bitch was the group. So, but the the main people on Laser Bitch were me and Max. Yeah, but it, it totally sounds like something that would come out today. It, it's it's very current Thanks. sounding. So yeah, I mean, we made Coquette in two thousand nine. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I was holy shit. That was a decade ago. A long time ago. Wow. That's, that's a testament, though, to like the music you made because Thanks. the fact that you can listen to it now and it feels like it's something I would hear going out to a club. Yeah. You know, this week. Thanks. Yeah, I mean. It, it was a really interesting ride with Laser Bitch, for sure. It was super fun. And it, it was weird because it was like, oh, yeah, coquette. <laughs> so I'll tell you the story of how coquette even happened. So um, we were starting to really kind of pick up steam as a group. And we were like, what do we need to market ourselves? So we put together a website. I had a friend that was starting an app company. This is when apps were starting to get really big. We were the first band with an app, like ever. I'm not, I'm not lying. We were the first band with an app and it was part of our press kit and it was, everyone thought it was the coolest fucking thing. What, what did you, what were you able to do on the app? Listen to all of our songs. Cause oh, it was wow. before there was all those platforms. Yes. Yeah, so you could pull up the laser bitch app and stream all of our songs. This was during MySpace time, right? Or yes. was it this pre Facebook? Yes. MySpace time. Yes. It was like right around the same time. So okay. people were getting off MySpace and, and doing Facebook. Yes. Yeah, so you could do the laser bitch wow. app. You could download the laser bitch app, but you can't get it anymore because it phased out and you have to like, like Apple has rules and you have to update the app continuously and like that was not being done so i'm gonna ask this question who owns the rights to your songs um well i guess it's me and max i mean it's just both of us so would that be an issue if you re-released it how would you would, i mean i'm just throwing it out there I mean, yeah i mean no 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 it would definitely just be both of us if anything ever happened if something was to be licensed you know i mean like we would just have to work together and you know i'm sure it would be like a 50 50 split so would you do you ever have the itch to get back into the so, game? So, that's a great question. Um, I mean, so I guess I'll tell you the story of how I kind of like, not, I didn't, I don't want to say left music, but um, when Matt and I finally got together and we started dating, um, he was on tour with Imagine Dragons and Metric. And I had started making kids music as a side project. And that was the funnest shit ever. It was nice. so much fun. So, and we, and it was basically, it was me and Max from Laser Bitch. So we made a kids group called Lala Beebees. So cute, right? And we performed at the pier. We opened with Bismarcky because Bismarcky was with Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> and it was the, I mean, we had this, that was a big gig, you know? Bismarcky. And like, wow. it was crazy for us to come to get this gig together, like, and just start making kids music. So it was me, Max, and our friend Born. And Born actually is doing really well. So I, I want to say I was the one that actually opened the gateway for Born to do kids music because now he's doing voiceovers for like his kids' favorite cartoons. Yeah, which he would have never considered because he was a rapper. So he wasn't thinking like kids' music, right? But that's where the money is. Yeah, that's where the money so, is. So, and that's music. where yeah. my lawyer, Frank, like he represented a very popular kids' band, Milkshake. So, yeah, so he was like, you should think about, you know, like how you can actually make some money and like, no one was going to say laser bitch on the radio, you know? I mean, that's when radio is still a thing. Right. So I was like, let's make kids music. So we started making this really awesome kids music. And then 
Matt was on tour and Matt was starting, Matt was doing some of the mix downs for us. And he was like, Hey, you got to figure out kind of like what you really want. He's like, cause I had a job that I was like, it was okay. I can pay the bills. And he's like, do you want to continue to work or do you want to do music full time? Or like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, I know you really want a house because I had been in my apartment in Charles village for almost a decade. And it was me, my dog, and my cats. And then Matt ended up moving in with me, which he wasn't supposed to. It's a whole other story. So he ended up moving in with me, but he was never there. So he was there like once a month because he was always on tour. So it wasn't the worst. It wasn't the worst. It wasn't the greatest, but it wasn't the worst. So he was like, I can support you. Like if you want to do music full time, he's like, well, we'll probably never leave the apartment. And I was like, oh, I want a house. And he's like, great. Well, why don't you look for a better job? So that was how I got into renewables and it literally changed my life. So I started selling solar for this company called Solar City. And within one year, I got us the house and uh, we got a new Porsche and life was really good. And I was so busy with my job. I didn't have time for anything else because I was seven days a week. So it was, and I was so obsessed with my job too, which was crazy because I'd never been obsessed with anything other than like laser bitch. I was really obsessed with laser bitch. It was my life. Like I would just wake up and be in front of the computer all day long and then figure out how I was going to market myself and you know, what new projects I was going to work on, how I was going to find funding for my projects. Like I was so obsessed with it. But then when I got this job and I was actually making real money, it changed my life. It totally changed my life. So yeah. So I... The irony is, you know, Matt and I got married and Matt is a sound engineer and everyone was like, oh my God, Libby and Matt are married. They're like the power couple in music in Baltimore, you know, and we made one record together and I would still do stuff for some of his clients. So we'll come back to that. I'll tell you the story of how me and Matt met. It's a cute story. And we built a recording studio in our house. So we have a studio in our house. I've never recorded in our studio, if you can believe that. Isn't that crazy? He has a studio that he does, like, all the Grammy artists and stuff, Rightway Studios in Remington. Wow. So that's where he does, like, oh, yeah, he, he worked on Rihanna's Auntie album. Yeah, Rihanna came there. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the day that she not was supposed bad. to come, I was like, I'm bringing you pizza. He's like, you're not allowed to come <laughs> to the studio. And my best friend Katie, we were like, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming to the studio, we're bringing pizza. And he's like, no, you're not. So yeah. did you do it? No, because he was like, the reason why we get these gigs is because we're not like trying to take pictures and be all extra. And I'm like, I get it. That's interesting. So, yeah. I didn't yeah. Know. That's a great story. So she was the only one where I was like, I'm coming. Everyone else, I'm like, that's cool. But her, I was like, oh my God. So how long ago was it that you built the studio in your house? Oh, we've been in the house for almost four years. Okay. So <laughs> you guys really have to at some point just to make it worthwhile. Well, he uses it. He uses it all the time. He mixes down his client stuff there. So yeah, he was working on an album this morning before he left for the Hippodrome. Yeah. So he uses it like all the time. Oh yeah. Is it to you kind of like the way for some people when they put like a home gym at their home and because it's there, they don't use it. Is that what it's like? No, I guess it's just like, well, I really kind of need him for some of the recording components. So I don't know. I mean, we did say this was the year we were going to do an album, but I don't know. We'll see. I did do a song. Last year with my friend Eric. So my friend Eric Rillin, otherwise known as Chef Egg. I don't know if you know Eric or not. He's really cool. Um, so he does a lot of cooking segments on local television shows. 
And he was like, hey, I've actually always made music, but it's never really been a thing, but now it's gonna be a thing. And I'm making this album and I'm working with all these different artists. I would love to have you on my album. And I was like, great, I'm not doing anything on Thursday. Come over, we'll write this song. And so he sent me the song, I liked it. And he had like kind of an outline. And so I just helped him fill in the gaps. And we recorded the song last year. It should come out this year. He actually just messaged me about it the other day. Wow. Yeah, so it's a cool, really cool song. Is it like a dance song? Of course. Okay, okay. <laughs> of course. Okay. It's like very, it's kind of got it like a disco vibe. Nice. Yeah, so it's nice. pretty chill. That's pretty cool. You have a, you're, you have your own studio in your house. It is cool. That's pretty cool. It I'm is really cool. It is, it is really cool. It is really cool. So if people could see my face, I, my, my jaw dropped. Like that's pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that was a great question. I, I, Cause it's the whole gym thing. Like, do you really use your gym at the house or not? You yeah. Know? Which is funny. Cause we actually did turn our guest room into a gym <laughs> like two months ago. And I use, I thought I would use it every day. I don't use it every day, but I do use it more than I think I, the, like the real me thought I would use it. <laughs> <laughs> now for me, like it's, I buy so many pieces of workout equipment and it goes unused because I'm that type of person who just needs to like leave my house. I need a destination to go oh, work no, out. I Otherwise I, I love my house. I like, honestly, if I could never leave my house, I probably never would. <laughs> I even get my, I get my groceries delivered. Like I leave my house for work appointments, like really big ones and to walk my dog. Folks, folks, what I want to tell you guys, this is a local, local performer, former artist, rock star. They live in Beverly Hills. They live in Northeast Baltimore. And um, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I live in Walterson, which is two blocks from Beverly Hills. Yes. And um, it's funny because my wife and I were looking for a place in Beverly Hills. And we couldn't find one because they, you know how it is. They, two weeks, they're gone. They're gone. Yep. They're, like, they're like passed down from generation to generation. And they're beautiful places. So... You know, I know all about it. And it was one of those things with community when Heather reached out to you. I know she told you why I wasn't. It was like the coolest thing Libby was saying to me. She's like, Aaron, you know, I normally don't do these type of things. She's like, but you're a local guy from the neighborhood. Yeah. And I, and I respect that. And you know what? That meant the world to me. And they're so humble. That's the other thing, too, is she is super, super humble. She is. That she yeah. never toots her own horn. But that's just kind of who she is. You know, she'll, like, pump everyone else up that's, like... You know, she's just, she's so great. So I'm, again, I'm very as honored to have you on. And, Thank you. You know, have Miss Karen here also co-hosting today because she's coming from Catonsville. So it's just, it's a great thing to come over into Northeast Baltimore and uh, hang out. So, so <laughs> getting back to business at hand here, what would you tell a younger person who got, like, kind of like you, you went in the industry you saw the ups, you saw the negatives, you saw yeah. how they treated mm -hmm. women. Uh, first, get into what things these DJs were talking to you when you're asking them for the, the yeah. drop. I mean, explain that situation and then explain what would you do looking back at yourself 10 years from now? Yeah. Like, what would you tell your younger sure. self? So go Absolutely. So, um, I mean, when I was actively pursuing gigs and things like that, I mean, most guys just didn't take me seriously. They were just like, oh, no, this girl probably wants to just sleep with me. Or, you know, they were just gross, always really gross. And the cool thing about just being the driver was that I got to just drive them to the club and then they would ask me to take them back to their hotel and I would always just have somebody else do it. You know, I would never Smart. I would never be that person to do, to, to do that because, you know, I just didn't think it would be, uh, like, it just for me, it didn't, like, it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't want any, anyone to, like, misconstrue what I was actually trying to do. Um, because, I mean, these guys are used to having 
chicks throw themselves at them all the time. And so I think they thought I was just some other girl like, trying to throw myself at these dudes and like, ugh, no. Like I just want you to listen to my music and I want to work with you and, you know, I'm definitely not trying to sleep with you. So yuck. Um, so that was definitely a lot. I mean, that a lot, a lot, a lot. Most guys really just wanted to sleep with me. And that's, I mean, it's kind of interesting that, cause you know, like my, right now I, I, I'm in sales and I guess then I was just really, I was doing the same thing. Like I was selling like my talent to these people. And it's like in sales, it's like you have to just keep, they call it going for the no. So you're just trying to, you knock it on as many doors as you can essentially. And that's really what I was doing when I was driving DJs was like, uh, even some DJs where I'm like, yeah, this one's okay. But you know, like if I've got a record out with this guy, it would, it wouldn't be bad, you know? But then there's some DJs where like, oh my God, like this is the only person I want to work with. But I still tried to go after as many people as possible because I really just needed, I felt like that one big hit and that was what I got with John B. Nice. So, but I didn't have a follow up. So, I mean, yet the word is yet. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's the big thing is that, you know, you just really have to have a vision and like, it's funny because my husband, Matt always says that he's like, Oh man, I wish I met you when you were 18. Like you would have been the next Britney Spears. Like I would have taken control because Matt had his first recording studio when he was 18 in Westminster. Oh yeah. Yeah. Audio Inc. It was like the shit in Westminster. Totally. So he's been doing this his whole life. And you know, I just, it would have been cool, I guess, if I had had someone just kind of trying to like groom me and really mold me into like what the music industry wanted. But I was just so crazy and wild. I don't think I would have listened to anybody. I don't, I don't know. Like, I really don't know if I would have been able to handle that. And so that's what we're seeing now is you see a lot of people, I mean, obviously it's the internet. Anybody can be famous now, which is what's so crazy about the internet. Literally anybody can be famous just from doing something stupid. You know what I mean? You could post a video of your dog doing something dumb or just whatever. And then you, next thing you know, you could be on Ellen, you know, I mean, grumpy cat, are you shitting me? Like, you know what I mean? This lady owned a cat. You know what I mean? This poor cat was born with like some weird, like chromosomal disorder. And you know, the cat made her bajillions of dollars because she bought this cat. I'm just saying. So anyone can be famous. The internet is what it is. You know what I mean? I still think the same rules will always apply, you know, about networking and marketing yourself, but you have to have a focus and a plan. So you have to always be thinking about kind of what your next step is. And I wasn't so great about that. I got better about it the older I got, but the problem that I had was that the older I got, the more I needed to really think about like, what am I doing with my life? Because even though this is what I want to do with my life, like, can I survive off of this? Because there were very low points of being super, super, super broke. And it was not a nice way to live. It was very uncomfortable and not fun. So, I mean, and there's even times where, you know, I'll hear, like, I have a couple of friends who, quote, unquote, like, made it. You know, I'll hear their songs, like, in the grocery store or whatever. And I'll be like, ugh. And Matt will look at me and he'll be like, you make more money than them. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, good reminder. Like, you know what I mean? And that's just crazy to think about something like that, Right. That's so crazy. So what did you do during those times when you were struggling to survive? What were you doing to supplement oh your income to keep you, to keep um, you going? I would just, and that, this is a great question because I definitely would get a little desperate. So I would kind of maybe undersell myself sometimes. So I started DJing. So I DJ for like nothing, like a hundred bucks. You know, back then, I mean, in like 2006, that was a lot of money for a Friday night, you know, but like now a hundred bucks to DJ, I'm like, right. Like, <laughs> 
but I would just do whatever I could. And then I started doing liquor promos. <laughs> Horrible. I don't want anyone to know I was doing liquor promos because, you know, I was out there giving like away shots of Captain Morgan. You know, I would go to the bars at Power Plant when they used to have that. And like, we would basically be giving out like shots of alcohol because it was like liquor sampling. It was just so gross, so gross. And you would just be dodging like college kids projectile vomiting. It was awful, so awful, but it paid a lot. I mean, it was like $25 an hour back then. That was so much money for a couple hours of work. And all you had to do was just look cute and hand out alcohol, like no brainer. Okay. So no, 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 it it was deep. That's pretty deep. I mean, I was not expecting to hear that. That's that's, but you're telling the real deal story about what's going on behind the scenes, which I like a lot. Um, What do you say to people for like all the young girls who are like, I want to be a singer. What things would you have done differently? Um, I would have learned how to play an instrument when I was a lot younger. I would have absolutely done that. So I didn't start doing that until recently. And, you know, I mean, of course, I mean, my husband is a classically trained pianist. So he's been playing piano since he was four. So, yeah. So, of course, we were, having a piano in the house was like it, it happened. We bought the house. We bought a piano like immediately. So, and I don't know how to play piano. Well, what instrument did you pick up? And why? Why did, why did you choose that instrument? Playing the piano because we have one in the house. And also Matt, because he knows so much about music, he was just like, hey, if you once you learn piano, it'll help you with every other instrument. So when you want to move on from piano to, say, guitar or bass or something else, like piano is the basis for everything. And so I downloaded this really, really great app called Simply Piano for my iPad. It's great. And it's like $100 a year, which seems kind of expensive, but... The app is phenomenal. Even Matt was like, wow. He's like, this is a really good app. Because I was starting to become really, really good at piano. And then our piano broke. (laughs) And then it took me a really long time to get it fixed. And then we got it fixed. And then I haven't been so great about keeping up with my lessons. So we have a piano. (laughs) So are you still writing songs? And even though you're not producing music right now? No. 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 I really don't. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'll do it if somebody asks me to do it. So like if somebody were to reach out to me and be like, Hey Libby, I've got this idea. And if I have the time and it's interesting, I'll work on it. So that's how Eric got me last year. He sent me the song and I was like, this is actually really cool. And I kind of like it. And I like the premise of your project. Like, why wouldn't I work on this? Do you still speak to any of the girls in the group or from Laserbitch? Laserbitch was just me and Max. Oh, okay. I thought it was someone else. Mm-mm. I thought the girls that were in the background or was, was there people? No, we had dancers. Dancers, okay. They were dancers. Yeah, we had dancers. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm still okay. friends with all my dancers, Okay, I didn't of course. know. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 No, was... Laserbitch was just me and Max. Okay. And we had like DJs. We had rotating DJs. Do you so. ever speak to Max anymore? Max and I don't talk anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. It's the music industry. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess my final question for you would be, again, looking back at everything you've done, the accomplishments, the goals from the music industry to what you're doing now. And what would you say to yourself now, like looking back at your younger self? What would you say to yourself? I don't know. I mean... What would you say to that young girl who had her first hit at a young age? What would you say to that young lady? Like, hey... You should do this this time, not... I mean, I wish I'd had more focus. That I mean, that's really the biggest thing. It's just, you have to really know what you want. And I didn't know what I wanted. I had no focus. I don't think I'd focus in my life until I was like 30, 
32 or 33. So, but that's not a bad thing. You know, there's people that are in their 40s that have no fucking idea what they're doing with their lives. And that's fine. But it's like, you know, if you can survive and you're a good person, that's great. But like, to me, it was like, I knew what I wanted out of life. And when I had a clear vision as to how to accomplish that, that's all that I cared about. And so for me, honestly, it was making money. Like that was the biggest thing for me was being able to like find a way to make enough money to make all my dreams come true. And I feel like I've definitely accomplished that. So it's interesting because I guess you could be like, okay, well, what's next? I don't ever have that feeling of what's next because I'm so fulfilled by my job because to me, it's so much more than a job. I mean, I work in an electric vehicle infrastructure right now. But I also, um, it's like not just a sales job. Like I work directly with utilities and municipalities and, you know, federal government and local government. It's really cool. So I have the ability to finally learn things I would have never in a million years ever had the chance to learn and know and like navigate these uh, like departments. It's so cool. It is really neat. So I've been able to build a skill set that I would have never, ever had a chance to, to, to know at all. Okay. Now, one last question. Do any of your neighbors know? Yeah, some of them kind of know. Um, and it's funny because even like in my job, you know, my one of my very best friends, she helped kind of facilitate, I guess, like because we worked together at Solar City and then Tesla and then um, now at ChargePoint where I work now. And <laughs> she, she, I guess people, some people... I think a lot of people actually, when they find out, they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. And to me, I'm just like, oh, I don't like, I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anyone to know, especially at work. I'm like, I don't want to know I did this. But my friend Lindsay, she would go, she, oh my God, did you know Libby was like a pop star? And she'll pull up my videos and show people my videos. And they're like, holy shit, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. And so my boss calls me laser. <laughs> no lie. And so it's funny because I think he's got me saved in his phone as like laser Libby. I'm not lying. And so there's there have been emails that have come through where I've been like, Doug, what the fuck? I'm like, it says laser Libby at the bottom of this email to a vendor. Oh no. And I'm like, and I'm like, people think my, my maiden name was laser. I've had like clients ask me, look, oh, is your last name laser? I'm like, no, that's another story. And like I just don't usually tell it. Right. <laughs> You, you don't think you could use that to your advantage, though, with certain vendors? Because I feel like that would be a way to kind of open the door sometimes. I mean, because some people, it's so off the rails that they're like, what the fuck? Like, you're doing this. Like, it's like they can't wrap their head around it. So you have to really know, I think, who you're talking to. Sometimes it is appropriate. Sometimes it's totally not appropriate. So I think it's really about figuring out, like, if it's appropriate to share that story and how well you know someone. It's definitely not a first meeting story. <laughs> by any sorts of the imagination. Nice. Karen, do you have any more questions? For I do, but I'm going to ask him off, uh, off the mic. <laughs> no, problem. no problem. But again, thank you so much, Ms. Libby, for coming yeah. in. This is an honor and pleasure. This is so just, fun. Just to hang out and just chat with you. And you've given so much insight to me and hopefully to our listeners, to somebody who has a young daughter who wants to be in the industry. Yeah. And just having that business acumen you know, learning the ways of going about things. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I just, I want to say that even just, you know, my, I guess my advice about having a focus, it doesn't even just apply to music. It's literally anything because, you know, when Matt and I got together, I was doing like six different things. I was the director of an animal rescue, like, and I had my job and then I was trying to start a mushroom farm with a friend. Like what the fuck was like, what was I doing? <laughs> and then I had laser bitch. So like I had six different projects going on and Matt was like, hey, I think it's cool that you're trying to do all these things. He's like, but I think that if you really want to find the path to success, you really need to focus on one thing. 
And I took that. And at first I was like, oh, God, this fucking guy is so annoying. Like, I, you know, I was just so irritated that some dude was trying to tell me what to do. But at the end of the day, he was 100% right. And focusing on one thing, which at the time it just happened to be solar, I focused on solar and it changed my life. So it's like if you can really just focus on that one thing that you're super into just for a year, it, it could change your life. And that's exactly what happened to me. So on that note, that's a great <laughs> note to end this right here. Thank you again, Miss Libby. We're out. Bye.